Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verses, verse 13 through chapter 4, verse 5. I'll ask you to please follow along in your own Bibles on the screen that is behind me, or simply listen as I read the passage aloud. And it reads, But Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, The God of your ancestors have sent me to you, they will ask me, What is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Now go and call together all the elders of Israel Tell them, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me. He told me, I have been watching closely, and I see how the Egyptians are treating you. I have promised to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. The elders of Israel will accept your message. Then you and the elders must go to the king of Egypt and tell him, The Lord, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So please take us, so please let us take a three day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So I will raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. Then at last he will let you go. And I will cause the Egyptians to look favor favorably on you. They will give you gifts when you go, so you will not leave empty-handed. Every Israelite woman will ask for articles of silver and gold and find clothing from her Egyptian neighbors and from the foreign women in their houses. You will dress your sons and daughters with these, stripping the Egyptians of their wealth. But Moses protested again. What if they don't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform the sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, of the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. For uh, those of you who don't know me, my name is Josh, and I am one of the pastors at High Rock in Brookline, and it's so good to be worshiping with all of you uh, this morning. If you're somebody who's new, uh, if you may have heard, we uh, typically share a meal downstairs after service, and today is no different. So I encourage you, uh, to, if you're new, we'd love to have you join us after service for that shared meal. And if you are a regular from either High Rock or Mars Hill Fellowship Church, then I would like to encourage you to uh, 
specifically invite folks who might be new that you meet to not only come to Soul Food, but to join you at Soul Food. A couple weeks ago, um, my family and I, we were traveling, and we went to a church on Sunday morning, and so you're, you know, you're going through that experience of being a new person in a congregation, and uh, we went to service, and we sat there, and it was great. At the end of service, the, the presider said, you know, we have a fellowship time in the fellowship hall over there, and uh, if, if you're new, we'd love to have you come join us. And I remember I was sitting in the back pew, or second to back pew maybe, and uh, I thought to myself, there's no way I'm going to that fellowship hall unless someone specifically says, come with me to the fellowship. It, it doesn't matter if they say, oh, just so you know, we have fellowship, so we'd love to have you. Jo-. Unless they individually say that I will be with you while you are there, I'm not going. And sure enough, right after service, this woman walks up to me, and she's, oh, it's so good to have you guys. Thanks for coming. We're glad that you're here. We have uh, some, some coffee and some refreshments over in the fellowship hall. We'd love to have you come join us. And she was very nice, and off she walked, and I put on my coat, and I left. I was done. Because unless she had said, do you want to come with me, so that I knew I had a friend the whole time that I was going to be there, I didn't have the, the confidence or the self assurance to go. So I, I know just even in the last couple weeks, that feeling of like, it's so good to like have someone actually just want to spend some time with you and sit with you. And so uh, encourage you if you're a high rocker or Mars Hill folks to, to do that. And uh, newcomers, if someone does very intentionally invite you, please feel free to reject them. If you'd like to, <laughs> it's totally okay. feel no pressure. Uh, but this is a, it's a big family and we'd love to have you Join us. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, um, I know that we're studying Exodus chapters 3 and 4 today, but I actually want to begin uh, in the book of Daniel chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, you can open to that, or uh, we're also going to have it up on the screen. Uh, as most of you know, today is the Super Bowl, and there is good news. If you are a New England Patriots fan, God has already predicted a Patriots win, and I want to just look at it quickly. Daniel chapter 8, verses 3 through 7. I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns standing beside the canal, and the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. I watched the ram as it charged toward the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against it. None could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased, and it became great. And as I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between his eyes, came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. That's not real. I know that. It, became, it came toward the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at it in great rage. I saw it attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering its two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against it. The goat knocked it to the ground and trampled on it, and none could rescue the ram from his, its power. So, good news for Patriots fans. <laughs> DB12 will apparently persevere today and win number six. And to all of those of you who don't like the Patriots, we just really apologize for how annoying our, we are as fans. <laughs> and uh, we know that this is a difficult day for you. <laughs> so, back, back, back to the serious stuff of uh, preaching the word of God. Uh, A few weeks ago, we began a a sermon series from the book of Exodus called A New Beginning, where we are looking together at 
the story of God leading his people out of slavery in Egypt and into a new life and a new land that he has prepared for them. And obviously, uh, this story of what is happening in the life of the people of Israel relates directly to what is happening in the life of High Rock Church in Brookline and Mars Hill Fellowship Church and the the adventure that we are on together and exploring together. And so it seemed like a a relevant time for us to spend in the book of Exodus. At the beginning of the series, we were introduced to the baby Moses floating in his ark on the Nile. Then last week, Pastor Joseph introduced us to not only the adult Moses, but to a Moses who was actually fairly advanced in age, somewhere in that range of about 80 years old, who was out in the wilderness tending his flocks, where he encountered God in the burning bush that was not consumed, and where God told him that he had heard the cries of his people in Egypt and that he was calling Moses to return and to lead those people out of bondage. And so while last week we saw the beginning of that narrative and the specific uh, call for Moses to lead God's people, this morning we return to that same narrative and we explore what comes next, which is the interaction between God and Moses in response to the call. However, uh, before we look directly at the back and forth between Moses and God, which is going to take up most of our time today, I want to address first the the expansion of the call that God gives to Moses in the second half of chapter 3, which is part of what Minister Crisanda just read. Uh, If you look at chapter 3, verses 16 to 22, uh, they are an important but kind of oddly placed group of verses. And while I think they're important for us to know and to look at for a moment for the overall story, they kind of disrupt the interaction between God and Moses. So I want to just cover those verses briefly first, even though it's a little bit out of order, and then we can kind of step back a little bit into the text and look at the rest. So uh, at the beginning of chapter 3, God has told Moses, he's heard the cries of his people, he's going to intervene, he's going to save his people, and the way he'll do that, Moses will go back to Egypt, and he will be the one that will lead his people out of slavery and into freedom. Then in verses 16 to 22, God elaborates on some of the details of that plan. And I just want to highlight three of those details. First, Moses' first step upon his return will be to call together the elders and tell them, God appeared to me in the wilderness, and this is the message that he has for his people. This is an important step because the elders, which is in the text literally the bearded ones, were the accepted leaders of the community. And and they would be the ones who would communicate on behalf of Moses. This was in the kind of pre-Twitter days where you couldn't get a message out to your entire base in one moment. So instead, you get the elders up to speed, and then they go out as your surrogates, and they tell all the people and communicate what's happening in, in your mind or in your experience. Second, God told Moses that the elders will accept his message. And that once they have accepted it and disseminated it amongst the people, then you need to take the elders with you when you go to the king of Egypt and together tell him that you have met with your God, that you want to take a three-day journey out into the wilderness so that you can now, together as a community, worship your God there. 
And third and finally, God explains that when you make that religious request to go and to worship, Pharaoh will reject that request. And that unless a mighty hand compels him to do otherwise, the Egyptians will just refuse. And so God's plan is to raise his mighty hand up against Pharaoh and Egypt and that that will compel them to let the Israelites go. So those are the three things, the sequence that Moses is to expect. Tell the leaders, get them up to speed, take them with you to request your religious retreat, and when Pharaoh rejects your request, God will miraculously intervene with signs and wonders that will pressure Egypt to comply. That is the plan that God lays out for Moses in verses 16 to 22. What we find, though, is that even though God lays out this plan, and even though he tells Moses that the elders will accept his message, and even though God tells Moses that he will miraculously intervene to make all of this come to fast, what we come to pass, what we find is that despite God telling Moses those things, Moses has some concerns. He has some questions. This all sounds simple enough. But Moses isn't so sure. And this is what then launches us into the extended interaction here in chapters 3 and 4 between Moses and God. Five times. Five times Moses tries to get himself out of this call. And as those five responses progress, there is a trajectory of, of desperation and urgency. In the first three, it says, but Moses protested. In the last two, his protest turns to pleading. Chapter 3, verse 11, but Moses protested. Chapter 3, verse 13, but Moses protested. Chapter 4, verse 1, but Moses protested. Chapter 4, verse 10, but Moses pleaded. Chapter 4, verse 13, but Moses again pleaded. His first protest comes in chapter 3, verse 11. And Moses says, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out of Egypt? Moses' first protest is that he is not worthy of this call. Who am I to do this? I am a shepherd in the wilderness, and you're calling me to go and to stand before the king of Egypt. Who, who am I to go do something like that? I lead my small family. I lead herds of sheep. I don't lead thousands upon thousands of people. So, so who am I to try and lead an entire nation out of their bondage? I, I don't have the experience. I don't have the skills. I don't have the platform. I don't have the authority. So who am I to do what you are asking me to do? Moses' first protest is personal to himself. He just understands, how do I fit the role for what you're calling me to do? And God's response to him is, is very simple. I will be with you. That's all you need. I will be with you. And that's enough. But it's not enough for Moses. Moses' second protest, chapter 3, verse 13. If I go to them and I tell them that, that you told me to do this, who am I supposed to say sent me? I have been far from them. I have been far from you. I don't even know your name. They'll think that I'm a fraud. They'll think 
I made this up. They'll think that, that I don't even know who you are, and yet here I am representing you. So Moses' second protest is in not just who he is, but it's in regard to his relationship with God. He doesn't even know his name. So how can he stand and represent him before the people of the nation? God's response here is to give Moses a name, but we're going to come back to that one a little later because it's a big one, and, uh, and I want to spend a little more time on it. But even though it's a big one, it's not enough for Moses. Moses' third protest is believability. It reads, well, what if they don't listen to me? What if they don't believe me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Even if I could summon the personal skills that were necessary for this call, even if I could speak to them in a way that made sense of who you are, what if they don't believe? Why would they believe me? What if they think that I hallucinated? It's hot out in the wilderness, and I've been spending a lot of time with sheep, and people in deserts think they see giant lakes that aren't actually there. So, so what if they think I just hallucinated? Or, or what if they think that, that I'm making it up because I'm trying to find some way to be, it's a mid or really late life crisis, and I, I really want to be someone of greater value and import in this world, so I made up a story that would give me position to do something important. Or, or what if they think that I'm just having self-delusions of grandeur, and I'm thinking that of all these incredible things about myself that actually have no grounding in reality? Moses' third protest is about whether the people will believe him. And this one I get. And I can see where a person would need to be convinced. Moses has not been a part of the community of Israel in Egypt for decades. His last impression was that he was a murderous young man that ran off into the wilderness. So why on earth would people believe or trust him? In the early days of our church, High Rock Brookline, we had a young leader in the church who was gifted but immature and, and sometimes acted out and just did dumb things. He was a part of our community early on, but eventually he left, and most of us haven't heard from him in years. But imagine that this morning that young man came walking through the doors, came up to the front, asked for the mic, stood before you and said, Hey, High Rock, and Mars Hill, nice to see you too. I know it's been a while, but while I was away, I heard from God. He spoke to me in a burning bush in my backyard that was not consumed. And he told me that I was supposed to come back and I am supposed to take over for Pastor Josh. And we need to move this church to Worcester and all of you are supposed to come with me. So tomorrow I need you to quit your leases, sell your homes, leave your jobs, pull your kids out of school, say goodbye to your friends. Next Sunday we will be meeting outside of the church on Beacon Street. Bring your trailers. If you need a ride, I'm sure someone will give it to you because we're all moving to Worcester, we're going to worship God there, and we're not coming back, so I'll see you next Sunday. What would happen? All right, I would, you know, gently say, would you please be seated? <laughs> if the person resisted, then we would call security and, you know, have that person removed so that we could continue on with our shared worship. So I get Moses' concern here. It's not unfounded. Who would believe this man? What credibility could a known murderer who was raised at the palace but whom has now lived out in the wilderness for decades possibly have with a group of people that he left behind so long ago? Why would they believe him? And given the understandable nature of his concern, 
God gives him some fairly reassuring signs that he will be believed. Beyond the fact that God already told him, you will be believed. This is a valid concern, and so God gives him some signs. He tells Moses, throw down your staff. It becomes a snake. When he picks it back up, it turns back to a staff. And God tells him, if they don't believe you, perform that sign. Then God tells him to put his hand inside of a shirt and then draw it back out. Dang it. I may or may not have prayed earlier that this would be leprous for the sake of this sermon. It's very white, <laughs> but it's not leprous. I'm kind of relieved. But um, He says, put your hand inside your shirt, pull it back out again. And when Moses did, it was covered in leprosy. That freaked Moses. And then God said, put it back inside the shirt. And when he pulls the hand out again, it is clean and pure and healed. And, Moses, and God tells Moses, if they don't believe that first sign, here's a second one to really try and convince them. And then finally, he gives them the old, you know, if neither of those work, then I want you to take water from the Nile, pour it on dry ground, and it will become blood. And that should do it. If the people don't believe the snake in the staff sign, and they don't believe the leprous hand sign, then the water turned to blood on the ground. That should accomplish the mission. So Moses raises a third protest. It's a valid one. God gives him more than enough ammunition to convince the people that he's not lying, he's not delusional. And as we find out at the end of chapter 4, he ends up not needing any of those to convince them, just like God said that he would. But they will believe his message. And so this is the point where Moses begins to get desperate. Chapter 4, verse 10, Moses is no longer protesting, but it says that Moses pleaded with the Lord. Lord, I'm not good with words. I never have been. I'm not now. Even though you've spoken to me, I, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. We don't know if this is true or not. Stephen, in the book of Acts, reflects on how powerful a speaker Moses was. So whether this was false humility or lack of awareness or genuine insecurity, we don't know. What we do know is that God is becoming less patient. God responds by saying, who made your mouth? I made your mouth. Who gave it to you? I did. And then God just gives him a very, now go. It's just, it's, it's very direct, exclamation point. Who made your mouth? I made your mouth. You don't know how to say, I don't care. Go, now. I want you out there. And then we come to the final and what we realize is the central parts of this entire exchange in chapter 4, verse 13. Moses issues a final plea. Lord, please. Send anybody else. And the text tells us that this made the Lord angry. Because it was no longer about self-doubt. It was just about disobedience. Moses just didn't want to be the one to go. Even though God had specifically said, you, go now. And when you look at those five exchanges over the course of the two chapters together, you find a fairly obvious pattern to the exchanges. And the pattern is, Moses resists for some reason, and then God tells him, you don't need to worry about that. So, who am I to lead these people? Don't worry, I'll go with you. I don't even know your name or who you are. Oh, that's easy. My name is, I am who I am. 
But what if they don't believe me? That's okay. I'll give you many miraculous signs to make them believe you. But I can't speak well. That's okay. I'll speak for you. But I don't want to go. Ah! Right? Like is the feeling of the text. And even after the ah, God still says, okay, fine. I'll give you Aaron to help you. Right? Like every single time Moses resists. And every time God says, but I'll do this. Throughout the exchange, Moses just keeps missing the point over and over and over. Who am I? Who do I say? How will I? But I can't. But I don't want. He is just so incredibly self-focused and self-centered and self-involved that he can't hear God speaking to him and saying, you aren't going to do this. I am. This is even more powerfully understood when you look at God's response to the second protest about Moses. Not knowing who God is or not knowing God's name, which we looked at briefly, and I said we come back to you. When Moses asks for a name, what we read in chapter 3, verse 14 is, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. When Moses asks for a name, the name that God gives him is, I am who I am, which is an incredibly meaningful name. In our world, sometimes names have have direct meaning about the person that they identify, but oftentimes names in our world are just kind of particular identifiers of that person. But in biblical times, names always conveyed information about the nature and the character of the individual involved. And so that name that God speaks for himself, I am, is intended to communicate information about his nature and his character. And this alone could be a sermon or many sermons or books. But just a couple of the most obvious and most relevant things that that this communicates to us and to Moses. I am means that he has no beginning and no end. The life of mortals, David writes in Psalms 105, is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows it over and it's gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. God is eternal. He doesn't name himself I was. He doesn't name himself I will be. I am. Am. He has no beginning. He has no end. We are blips on the screen, breaths in the cold night air, flowers that bloom one day and die the next, but God simply is. Even this incredible universe at nearly 14 billion years is nothing, an insignificant fraction of nothingness in comparison to the God that created it, who has always been and will always be. I am not only means that he has no beginning and no end, it also means that he is everything and that nothing exists outside of him. Every single thing in creation that exists, exists because he is. And because he is everything, because he is all, 
that also means that every single thing that exists, which he created, is reliant upon him for their existence. It's not reliant on you. It's not reliant on me. It's not reliant on Moses. It relies on him. He feeds, he nourishes, and he sustains everything by his life-giving power, and nothing else does. And so, if God is everlasting to everlasting, if he is eternal and he has no beginning, and he has no end, if he created all things, and if he sustains all things, and if every single thing in this universe is under his control and power, then Moses is paying attention to the wrong person. And herein lies the incredible beauty of this passage. It doesn't matter if Moses has been away for a long time, It doesn't matter if he left under bad circumstances. It doesn't matter if he hasn't been a leader of people in a long time or if he doesn't speak well or if he isn't popular or if he doesn't have a good network among the people or he doesn't have the strength or the stamina or the strategy to lead and escape. Moses doesn't matter except that God said, you do it. What matters is that he is and that is all. And that's the reason that this passage is so important to our churches right now. The series is being preached and explored because we are about to enter into a new season, a new beginning. And if we were to miss the point the way that Moses does, we might look at us and look at our situation and look at our circumstances and we might begin to lack faith for our future. Who's going to lead us? How will this partnership between our churches work? What is the vision that leads us forward? But if we are looking at ourselves as we enter into this new season, we miss the point. Because if we're going to grow and we're going to thrive and we're going to flourish as churches, it will not be because of us. It will be because the great I am has simply said, I am telling you to do this and we will be obedient to what he says and he will do it for us. He will lead us into something new and something greater and something beautiful. I was so disheartened in my preparation for this sermon because uh, every week, you know, whenever I'm preparing a sermon, part of what I do is I take the text that I'm going to be preaching from and I go and I look at, I read other sermons or I listen to other sermons that have been preached on the same text. And I was reading a sermon from a large uh, church that was going through a pastoral transition. And the pastor was using this text as a part of that transition. And in the sermon, the pastor was reflecting on how he believes that God was going to do even more incredible things in that church because he believes in the godliness and the leadership of the pastor that is replacing him. And that due to that pastor's qualifications for the job, he has confidence in what will happen in the church. And I was literally like reading the screen and screaming, no, no, no. There was a heart in it that was right, and and it wasn't wasn't meant to be that way. But this is not about us. It's about the God who calls us into his service over and over and over and over and over again in the scriptures. God takes the things that are nothing, the things that are small, the things that are forgotten or ignored, and he uses those things specifically 
strategically to accomplish his purposes so that we might know that it was not us or our skills or our qualifications that brought those things to pass, but it was the power of God alive inside of us that did it. That's not just a message for our communities, but it's a message for each person inside these communities. Maybe God is sending you to do something for him. Maybe he's called you to start a ministry, to pursue a specific vocation, to to become a missionary, to share about Jesus with a friend or coworker, to start a Bible study in your office, to begin a new Ohana group in the church, or to start doing work in ministry among the homeless. I don't know what it is that God might be calling you to do, but maybe God is sending you specifically to do something. And it's easy for us to sense that God is calling us to go and to do something, but to resist that call with all kinds of protests and pleas. I'm, I'm not a leader. I, 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 don't, I can't do stuff like that. It doesn't matter. He is. But I don't know if people are going to come and join and follow and, and, and how it will work. It doesn't matter. He is. I don't know if I have the time or the energy or the money to... If he has called you to do it, your answer is just, here am I, Lord, send me. Moses, please send somebody else, right? On and on we could go. The heart of the message is the same. That if God is calling you into his service to serve him, to lead among his people in some way, it is not abnormal or strange for us to get caught up in ourselves, to question our abilities, to question our authority. But this passage teaches us that if God has called you to it, then we just we look at him and not to us. In order to see it done, we want to see, we want to have the spirit of Isaiah, not the spirit of Moses. When Moses got called, he, he made excuses, just tried to get out of it. When Isaiah was called, it was just, here I am. Send me. Praise God for that. I want to just make one final note that might seem unrelated, and I hope you see the connection. Our focus on ourselves is not just in moments where we feel like God is calling us to something and perhaps we feel fearful or afraid or uncertain. Even our salvation can be self-focused. I'm not good enough. I didn't do enough. I... I haven't, I don't deserve God's love and God's salvation. I don't deserve an eternity with him. And that is entirely wrong. The entire point of the life and ministry of Jesus on this earth and the reason that he came and suffered and died is because, yes, you are not worthy of any, he is. 
And that is why he came and bled and died and suffered and rose again, because you couldn't do any of those things. We couldn't do those things. And so, just like Moses, he did it for us. And that is the foundation and the way of our salvation. Every part of us just needs to lose ourselves and find our eyes and hearts and minds looking directly upon our Creator and our Savior, relying not upon ourselves, but only on Him. And especially as we are in this time of discernment and praying that God would pour out His Spirit and lead us as churches to follow His will. We pray that we would not be distracted by us, that we would have our eyes on him alone. So I want to just end um, today. I'd like to pray for you, and um, I I especially want to pray for some of the leaders in our churches who are um, trying to listen and to hear God's will, and uh, I believe in the reality of spiritual attack, and and I, I believe that things can work against that. So Um, I want to pray for all of us, but I want to pray specifically for our leaders. So if you would um, just, if you're willing, bow your heads or keep your eyes, whatever you want to do, whatever I I want to pray. So I invite you to join me in that. Lord, this morning... We thank you for this, uh, this text. We thank you for uh, your patience with us, which just is unending and um, difficult to comprehend and how you just, how you don't kind of lose it with us all the time is beyond our comprehension. But we're grateful for your patience and your love and how you bear with us as we learn and grow and become, um, we hope, more and more faithful. This morning, I just want to pray for the people in our churches. Um, I pray that we would be just overcome and overwhelmed with the depth of your love for us, with the beauty of who you are. I pray that we would be aware of your power and your strength, that the reality of your identity and nature and character. I pray that we would know those things and and understand those things and that they might give us a confidence not born out of ourselves or our skills or our ability or our, our competence, but born out of a deep trust in you. I pray for the gift of faith to be distributed among people in our church that we might be able to, not because of us, but because of the gift you gave us, believe trust and have hope in you. I want to pray specifically um, for those in our church who have been called into uh, your service or into leadership. I pray that they would be faithful to the call that you have put on their lives. Faithful not because they are good or able but faithful because of their confidence in you. And they are able to say yes and step forward and do what you have called them to do out of faith and trust in you alone. I just, um, wherever there is self-doubt, 
personal insecurity and those things are at battle with what you have called us to do and be, I pray against the power of Satan and against the power of the enemy and I pray for your Holy Spirit to come and to equip and to set us free from those things. That we might be a people in this church who are faithful to the call that you have on our lives. I pray in particular for our leaders as they lead us through transition and into a new season. Keep them holy and away from sin. Protect them from temptation every single day. And I pray that they might, again, not by their own strength or will, but because they are obedient to your will, that they might be found faithful in their leadership. I also pray that you will give us eyes. We, you know, just like Israel, we often pick, we, we pick leaders because they're tall or handsome or pretty or smart. And I pray that you would just help us to see things the way you see people, see um, those who might be called into service through your eyes and not through our human brokenness. We, we, we absolutely, desperately need your help. We all know that. We recognize and we confess it. And we invite you to lead us forward. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.